Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. We're going to be looking today, since we have one more week until Advent starts, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. And part of the reason for this is just simply because actually Advent, we tend to focus, you know, on looking back at the first coming of Christ, but there's a part of Advent that it's really uh, a, a looking forward to, particularly this Sunday as a looking forward to the, the consummation of all things. The, the whole church calendar, you know, moves throughout all the aspects of our faith and time, both time now and eternal. And so I thought this week, since it's uh, kind of the end of looking at that this last uh, Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, we're going to be looking at uh, the glory that awaits us. So we're going to look in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. You can follow along on the screens or in your Bible. Hear the word of the reigning and ruling and sovereign God. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Um, One of the things that I love and enjoy about my wife is how much she hates movies and books that don't come to a clean resolution at the end. When an author or a movie maker tells a story, and at the end, they leave it ambiguous. Linda cannot stand that. In fact, it was pretty funny because last night, she just finished a book, and she said, but I didn't like it because it didn't really resolve everything. And she was so excited when I said, that's actually my introduction for tomorrow. Because my wife is so happy when she is one of my examples and illustrations uh, regarding all this. And I can remember years ago, (laughs) One of the first times this happened, for my birthday, my lovely wife, she had always heard me talk about Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail, and what a funny movie it was, and so she rented it back when, remember VCR tapes, you know? She rented it, and we had this small little TV, and we put it in, and she laughed at the first scene, and I thought, this is good, this is positive, and then for the next two hours, she watched me laughing until I cried. My side hurt for three days. And she was like, I don't, I don't get it. What's funny about any of this? And then at the end, if you've ever seen this movie, there is no resolution to the movie at all. And she looked at me and she said, 
what was the point of all of that? What was the plot? And I was like, you were looking for a plot in a Monty Python movie? That's why you didn't understand this. So I'm here to give you a bit of good news, and it's really good news for my wife. The Bible has a plot. There is an ending, and everything is resolved. We will not come to the end and say, what was the plot? What was the point in all of that? Everything is heading towards an end, and that end is actually glory. You and I are in a plot where we are glory bound. And I want to talk about what that means this morning. Now notice in the text, in Romans chapter 8, Paul's talking about our present struggle and our hope of glory. Notice he begins in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 23. And he's talking at first about our sufferings because we can't really get to our hope and understand the glory that is awaiting unless we recognize the sufferings in this life. So Paul, notice he speaks of our present sufferings. And he says, even we ourselves have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly, that there is a, a groaning, things are not the way it's supposed to be. And these present sufferings, Paul lists them out in other scriptures, we see it in his own life, they include things like uh, persecution and ridicule, our struggle against sin, they include sickness and pain and suffering. And anyone who has their eyes open, cannot help but look around, pay attention in this life, and recognize that there is suffering. There is evil. There is difficulty. And in fact, some Christians mistakenly read the Scripture and act as if by coming into Christ, by becoming a believer, that I somehow am removed from all of that in that, this life. That's actually not true, and in fact, it's the opposite of the case. Notice what Paul says, if you've got the first fruits of the Spirit, you are really groaning inwardly. And the reason is because of all people, we know it was not meant to be this way. There are those who have closed their eyes to the reality that God is present everywhere to us, that they can't not know he's there. They, they've put their fingers in their ears, they've covered their eyes, they refuse to see who he is, and some of them then say, hey, this is as good as it gets because this is all there is. Apart from being utterly wrong and sad, um, we have to step back and say, no, we know, we groan inwardly because we were created for something better. I was just uh, re-listening the other day to, to C.S. Lewis's uh, incredible uh, sermon that was called The Weight of Glory. And in it, he keeps pointing out that when we have a yearning for something as a human being, it's a pointer to the fact that that thing exists. We wouldn't have the yearning for it if it wasn't really there. And the chief yearning that people have testified to down through the ages is there's something wrong and there, there, there's got to be something better that awaits us. And that yearning is true. So he begins by telling us, look, this life is full of struggle, pain, suffering, and sin. It is not as it ought to be. But thankfully, the story doesn't stop there. You know, there's the old saying, you know, that 
nature is uh, red and tooth and claw. There, there's the idea, you know, that some people have said, you know, the, the universe the, and the history of the world is a tale told by an idiot, you know, full of fury and without any meaning. Well, if you don't understand where we're going, that's how it may appear. But that's a wrong reading because it is going to be resolved in the end. There is a point to what's going on. And so notice Paul moves on in this passage and he tells us that there is real hope for something better. I've mentioned this many times. Often you can tell what the point of a passage is, not only in the scripture and something else, by simply noticing what words or ideas are repeated over and over and over again. Notice in verses 24 and 25, at the end of this little section, Paul uses the phrase, the word hope, over and over again. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul is repeating that word hope, 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 because he's wanting us to see, look, this world is in a mess. There is struggling and suffering and sickness and pain, and there is real evil, but the response to that is not despair, it is hope. So Paul mentions hope five times in these two verses, and the hope is because something better is coming. We have been given much. I mean, you know, last week we looked at all the things for which we can be grateful because even in this fallen, broken world, God in his common grace is kind even to those who are ungrateful, even to those who deny his existence. He is kind. But our hope is that this is always at best just a taste, just a glimpse of what is coming. There is something far greater that we do not yet have. And in fact, it's so much greater, Paul tells us that our present struggles don't even compare to our future. Notice in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, one might hear that and say, well, this is a guy who probably didn't know the struggles that I have. At which point I would say, you obviously have not read much about the life of the Apostle Paul. Because the man saying that whatever pains and struggles and difficulty in life there are, they can't even compare with the glory to come. This man suffered. I mean, if you said that to Paul, as you said it, he would probably be smiling and taking his shirt off to turn around and say, really? 39 lashes, five times. Three times beaten with rods, once stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, deserted, rejected, persecuted, chased, and to the very end, imprisoned and beheaded. That's the guy who says, yeah, the sufferings I've got, they're nothing. They are nothing because the glory to come is so great. It's not that Paul had little sufferings. Our problem is not an uh, uh, underestimation of suffering. Our problem is an underestimation of the glory that is to come. So notice Paul goes on and he tells us in verses 18 to 21, he describes the hope that we're waiting for is actually a hope 
of glory. Verse 18, our sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And then in verse 21, creation is waiting uh, to be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And literally, in the Greek, that is the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And I'm going to be talking about why it's so important that we understand this. Theologians speak of our future as glorification, this final stage of salvation, that glory is a key part of our future. It's not just that we will exist forever. People are going to exist forever in hell. And that's not good. It's the state in which we're going to exist forever. How many of you know, even as our body winds down and we get older and older, eternal life in our present state would actually not be a blessing? There, there's a movie, uh, a man named Andrew Nicole has made a bunch of interesting movies. The, the one you would all be most familiar with probably is The Truman Show. He's always looking at our human condition, and he made one a few years ago called In Time, where in a world when you hit 25 years old, you stopped aging, but you had a, a clock, and you weren't paid in money, you were paid in time. And you started with 24 hours, and you were always running against the clock, and most people eventually, they just ran out of clock, and you fall over and you die. But you meet characters in the book who've lived for hundreds of years, and they want to die. They want to give it away, because they're like, you don't understand. Life in this present world, in this way, we, is not meant to go on forever. And he's right. It's not. So it's not just unending time. What is it that is our hope and our future? So let's dive in and look at the glory to come and understand what it is. First off, it's to understand that glorification occurs when Christ returns and we see God. Now, Paul doesn't directly bring that out in our text here, so I'm going to look at one or two other things to show that this is what he's talking about. Um, but it's only when Jesus returns. Notice in Colossians 3, verse 4, he talks about the same thing. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And that doesn't just mean, you know, we sometimes use the phrase glory to mean heaven. But that's not really what Paul's saying. What he's saying is when Christ appears, he is glorious. He is radiating with glory. And when he appears, you're going to become like him. And you too are going to radiate glory. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle John puts it this way. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So notice what John says is, look, this is so great, we can't understand it all, but we do know this. When he appears, and when we see him for the first time as he is, we're going to somehow become like him. Doesn't mean we become God, but it does mean that as Christ is full of glory, we too are going to become full of glory. So glorification, what we are hoping and longing for is the consummation of our salvation. And that does not happen until Christ returns. How many of you can understand that even as a Christian, you still have pain and suffering in this life? How many of you are a little bit older and realize how much our body winds down, right? From the second we're, <laughs> the second we're born, right? 
it is winding down and it is getting, it, the, the older you get, the more you realize like, wow, this body is truly wasting away, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And so glorification is when our faith and hope become sight. And notice how this way we can fully understand, but we are going to see God. And friends, when we see God, that's the moment our soul says, this is what I was made for. This is what I have longed for. Everything else in this life was only a pale comparison to seeing my God. That is glory. And at that moment, which is the second point, in glorification, our bodies are resurrected and changed. Because some Greeks back in the time of the New Testament would have said, yes, it's going to be so great. We'll get out of our body and our immaterial spirits will live forever. That is not the Christian hope. You and I were made to be embodied beings. The problem is that sin has infected our bodies. They're going to be raised and everything is going to be changed. Notice that Paul tells us glorification is when glory is revealed in our bodies. Again, in verse 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The, the statement there, some translations now translate it and say glory will be revealed to us. But actually, the, the, the Greek would normally be translated, and it's much better in this passage, it's going to be revealed to us. And it's actually the the, the preposition, not to get too technical, is normally into us. Again, when you see Christ, when I see Christ, the glory that fills our eyes is going to, as it were, seep into us. And you're going to become what you are beholding. That glory is going to become ours. We're not just going to behold God's glory. We ourselves are going to be glorified. If you could see your future self, if I could see your future self, we would treat one another differently than we do. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, referred and said, we're, we're, we're going to be like gods compared to ourselves now. We, we are going to be everlasting splendors because of the glory of God. That's who we eat next to every day who we play games with, who we fight and fuss and moan against. That's what it is. He even pointed out kingdoms are nothing. They come, they go. Rome will not exist in eternity. You will. Rome will be dust and forgotten. You will live forever full of the glory of God. And notice that Paul brings this up specifically in our body in, in verse 23, he says that you know, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Adoption in the ancient world was a two-stage process. And what Paul's saying is we've already been adopted in the first stage, but we're waiting for the second stage, the consummation, the finality. And when does that happen? That happens at the redemption of our bodies. This is the Christian hope. This body is going to die unless Jesus comes before. 
it's going to die, it's going to waste away, it's going to return to dust. But the Christian hope is that actually our bodies are raised from the dead, but when they are raised, they are changed. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 54. And he speaks and he tells the Corinthians because as a setup for 1 Corinthians 15, the, the, uh, some of the Corinthians were believing what was known as Gnosticism. They bought in some Greek philosophy and they thought that my problem was my flesh. It's not my problem. I was, God likes our flesh. He made it. It was his idea. My problem is sin. And so some of these Corinthians were thinking the, the glory was going to be I would get away from my body. And Paul says, no, that's not the truth. The truth is our bodies are going to be part of us for eternity, but they're going to be changed. So in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 51, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Paul says, for every human being, if you are alive when Jesus comes back in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, your body is going to be transformed. It is going to be changed, and it's going to become imperishable. No more sickness, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain. And if you have already died, then your body is going to be raised. And actually, he tells us here, he implies it here, and in 1 Thessalonians, that actually the dead will be raised first. And then everybody else will be changed along with that. But we will be raised, but our bodies are going to be raised imperishable, incorruptible, incapable of either sin or death. That is the future that awaits us. We will receive immortal, imperishable, glory-filled bodies. And in that moment, we're going to shout, death has been swallowed up in victory because we will literally have conquered death by Christ. That is a hope for the future. It's not, you know, the silly thing that's going on now with some of the transhumanist stuff. If I take enough vitamins and I figure out how to download my consciousness onto a hard disk, what, what a paltry view of what it would be to live forever. I don't want to live on a hard disk. I want this body to be raised. I want to go across Jordan, and I want death to be swallowed up by life. I want sin to be swallowed up by righteousness. I want to behold God and be what I was made to be. That is a hope. The third thing about glorification is our bodies are going to be transformed to be like the glorious resurrection body of Jesus. In, in Philippians, Paul talks about this. So when he's saying the redemption of our bodies, what does he mean? In Philippians, he tells us this. Philipp, this is Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Notice that phrase. 
He controls everything by his power. And on that day, like a laser, he's going to concentrate the power that spoke the universe into existence, the power that maintains all the far-flung galaxies right now. He's going to concentrate that body and say, rise, live, be changed. And your eyes are going to open and you're going to see him and you are going to burst alive with glory. Every one of us, that's what awaits all who are in Christ. At that moment, all of our sin, all of our weakness will be swallowed up in the glory of Jesus Christ forever. That is what glorification will be. The Christian hope has always been not just life after death, but specifically the resurrection of the body, the glorification of the body. And friends, when this happens, we're all going to shout glory. We're all going to sound like some old Southern Pentecostals or something. We're going to shout, glory! Because we're going to know, I can't stress this enough, you're going to know in the depth of your being every other joy I have ever experienced, every other pleasure I have ever had has only been a faint echo of this. This is what I have waited for. Every good meal I have ever had was only just a small foretaste of when I sit down and I eat and drink with the Son of God. Every other beautiful thing I have ever seen in my life was just a shadow. And we're going to realize, again, I'll C.S. Lewis, this is not the real world and that's less real. This is the shadow lands. This is just the shadow falling on. You're going to experience reality. Food the way it was meant to be. Relationships the way it was meant to be. Beauty the way it was meant to be. And everything in your soul is going to say, what I experienced when I looked at mountains or went down to the seacoast, all of that was just a shadow. This is reality. That's what awaits every one of us. And the final thing is, that in glorification, it's not just us, as I'm kind of hinting at, creation itself is going to be renewed and purified and restored. Notice in verses 19 to 21, part of what happened in the fall is creation was affected by our rebellion. Paul says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Do you hear what he's saying? There's something abuzz in creation right now. Down inside every molecule, inside every atom, it is all sitting there saying it's not the way it's supposed to be, but I know glory is coming. Every cell in your body is doing that. Every molecule and every rock and tree and the farthest flung stars is doing that. They are all abuzz and waiting for this to come. And notice he says it's because creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, Trees, fish, birds didn't sin. We did. But our corruption, when we opened Pandora's box, it unleashed death and corruption and pain and suffering everywhere. And this is the curse. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, it's exactly what God said. It's, the ground's not going to produce the way it was meant to produce. Everything is not going to respond the way it was meant to respond. But notice Paul is saying that the time is going to come when it's going to be liberated from its bondage. The day is going to come when we are redeemed, when its chains are going to fall off. And all creation is going to be what it was meant 
to be. And so its fate is linked to our own past and future. The creation has been groaning because of our sin. And notice here that the, the parallelism, the creation's been groaning, we are groaning. And furthermore, the creation is going to be liberated, but it's going to be liberated through our liberation as the sons of God. So he's using this Old Testament practice of personification um, to try and show that all of creation is going to be swept up into the consummation of salvation. And when everything is renewed, see, this is, if, if we've got any sense that eternity is me as some kind of a disembodied spirit floating around in nothingness. Get that out of your head. Because one of the reasons we struggle is who thinks floating on a cloud disembodied plucking a harp for a million years sounds like a great time? You know why it doesn't sound like a great time? Because it's not what you were made for. That's not what we were created for. This is not God saying plan A didn't work, let's do something different. It's him saying, no, what I decreed as plan A is going to be done. But it's going to be done by the renewal of everything. There's actually, a, I, I was, I'm reading uh, in the Greek New Testament right now, I'm reading through the book of Matthew, and in Matthew 19, Jesus speaks of, at the, a lot of translations say, the renewal of all things. It's literally the regeneration of all things. He uses the same words to speak of what happens to us when we are born again. The whole creation is going to be regenerated. It's going to be renewed. It's going to be purified. It's going to be swept up into the glory of God. And so all of this means that this is the consummation of God's plan. Understand, unlike the, this is one of the stories that my wife does like because it's a complete cycle. There's creation, there's fall, there's redemption, and there is consummation. Everything is going to be as God intended for it to be. Some heretics in the history of the church have tried to separate these out. They've tried to think that matter was evil or unimportant. And notice again, I mentioned the transhumanists. They, they actually refer to our bodies as meat lockers or wetware. Because the important thing is my ethereal thought. No, it's not. All of you, spirit and body, is important. Every bit of it. Don't give in to heresies, ancient or modern. You were made to be embodied, and so am I. And so some people, you know, want to wipe out creation. It's a, it's a crazy thing that we do. But God's plan is for the redemption of us, for the redemption of all creation, that everything that's been affected by the fall, one of the, you know, one of the Christmas carols we sing refers to far as the curse is found. Everywhere that was touched by sin is going to be redeemed. God is going to do this. God has not abandoned creation. God has not abandoned you. When you're sick and you're suffering, God has not abandoned you. When you experience sin from other human beings, God has not abandoned you. When you are crying from the pain and the suffering, God is taking every one of those and every tear that falls is going to rebound in eternal glory. 
Don't deny the pain. Don't deny the suffering, but don't forget the hope. Now, how do we apply this? And we'll come to the Lord's table. Number one, and this will be a shock to people who listen to me very often. If you don't know Jesus, how you apply this is you need to look to him for salvation. Okay? Because this glorious future, it's not just, look, there is hell, and Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else. So all the stuff about, you know, other people, no, G- Jesus talked about it a lot because it's real. Okay? But I want to tell you, apart from that, you don't want to miss the glory that comes. If, if hell was just this life, you don't want to miss what is ahead of us. And there is only one door. Jesus is the only door. We, we minimize who he is because we have minimized what sin has done. But every struggle, pain, and suffering in this life is from sin. And the only way to experience this glory is to have that sin washed, cleansed, purged, removed. And that's only done by the blood of Christ. There is no other way. So I urge you, look to Christ. I urge you, embrace him. That, that helps us as we walk through the suffering and the pain now, and it opens the door to eternity. There is a new world coming, friend, and it is glorious. Now, for those who are believers, I want to encourage you, set your hope on the future. Last week, I talked about how we, of all people, should be grateful. Well, I want to tell you, of all people, we should be optimists. We should be eternal optimists because we know the end of the story. We can read to the end of the book. Okay, it's like watching a movie for the second or the third or the fourth time. The first time you're sitting on the edge of your seat, but then you realize, oh, they're going to get out of this. It's all going to turn out all right. Well, brothers and sisters, it is all going to turn out all right. No matter what happens now, we of all people can live with optimism because my hope is not this age. My hope is not in what we are going to do, but in what God has done. God's will is going to be done. We are glory bound, and that that word bound, you know, means we're on the way, but I want to tell you as a believer, you are bound up to Jesus Christ himself. He is holding you. He is keeping you. He will keep you right into glory, okay? I am bound for the promised land. That is exactly what our future is, and I want to encourage you when you are struggling, when you are suffering, don't turn in yourself. Look to the hope that is yours. Every pain, every struggle, every strife, every sin that I am struggling with is meant to be a pointer back to me. There is a day that is coming when this will not be the case. There is a day that is coming when everything is going to be as it should be. There is a day that is coming when when your body hurts and when it fights with sickness, say there's a day that's coming when this body will radiate with the glory of God. 
It will be brighter than the sun. It is every fiber of my being is going to be renewed, restored, strong, healthy, full of glory. That is the future that awaits. Meditate on that. Encourage that. Think about what God is going to do. Is going to do the future that awaits for you on one day on. The day Christ returns on resurrection day, you and I are going to open our eyes and for the first time human beings are going to look out and say, this is what it was supposed to be. Even Adam and Eve lived in a world of potential, a world that could have been. We are going to live in it as it was meant to be. Fully glorified, fully embracing the will of God, fully radiating with the glory of God. If that doesn't give you hope, I got nothing for you. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table, and I want to remind us that every week when we come here, there's so much theology packed into the sacrament of the Lord's table. But this table reminds us, number one, of incarnation, because as we take the bread and we break it, it reminds us Jesus, in redeeming us, did not come as a disembodied spirit, did he? He came with our flesh and our blood because God is committed to redeeming us in flesh and blood. And it's also a pointer to the wedding supper of the Lamb. As we're praying, I'm going to be referencing. You remember Jesus and and Matthew were told, Jesus said, look, I'm drinking this cup and I won't drink of the fruit of the vine again until the day when we sit down in the Father's kingdom and we're going to drink it together. That's going to be quite a cup. That's going to be an amazing cup. And every time we come to this table, we come and it's a reminder of that. And God strengthens us, but it is a foretaste. We, by faith, taste the powers of the age to come. We, by faith, taste a hint of glory. So I want to encourage us as we come Look beyond, just like Paul's telling us in Romans 8 here, look beyond the suffering to see what's ahead. If we don't look by faith, this is simple bread and simple juice. But if you look by faith and you see beyond, brothers and sisters, there's a day, it will be so good, when the one feeding you will be the Son of God. That is going to be glory. We're going to begin by, if everybody can stand for a moment, we're going to confess the faith out of 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection chapter. This is just a summary, but I want to remind us, this is the faith we hold to. And notice, it is a full picture. So let's confess the gospel of our salvation together. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ was buried. Christ was raised on the third day. Christ appeared to many witnesses. Christ ascended in glory. Christ will come again. You can be seated. Brothers and sisters, if you believe that, you were invited to participate with us. If you don't believe that, then don't take the bread and the cup because this is a meal for believers. Taking this is a statement, 
I believe all this. I believe I have sinned. I believe I need salvation. I believe I cannot accomplish it on my own. But that Jesus Christ in his flesh lived for me. He was broken for me. He was buried for me. He was raised for me. And in the same way, he's going to raise me up and take me to be with him. If you believe that, you are invited to participate with us. We'll be passing out the elements in a moment after I uh, do this, the ceremony here. And you'll just grab both cups as they come by. They're in, there's two on top of one another, so you can grab them as they come by. Brothers and sisters, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to be passing out the elements as we do. You get them, hold on to them. And I want us to be asking the Holy Spirit to let us feed and taste the glory of the age to come this morning as we come to this table. Brothers and sisters, is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Father, in the beginning you made everything in heaven and earth, and it was very good. But though they had everything a heart could desire, our parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed, and their sin has infected everything. Father, we realize our problem is not our body of flesh but rather our sin, which has corrupted us and all creation. Yet though we were rebellious, you did not abandon us, but you sent your Son, who took our whole human nature, flesh and will, to himself and came and worked salvation in our place. Because he is truly and fully human, the God-man, we are reconciled. And Father, we confess that you are restoring us to our true humanity. And so we say, thanks be to you, O God, for our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. And is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your blood, which has sealed the new covenant, paid for all our sin, and made us members of your covenant people forever. By your blood, we are redeemed. By your blood, we overcome all the power of the enemy, and by your blood we are kept 
until we will sit with you in the eternal kingdom. Thanks be to you, O God, for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. If you can stand with me, we'll have a closing prayer, and then I'm going to risk something and do something a little different before we do the benediction. Hallelujah. Lord, on the night you were betrayed, you said that you would not drink of the fruit of the vine again until you drink it anew with us in the Father's kingdom. By your death, you have given us the right to the cup we just drank, giving us a taste of the glory of the age to come. But Lord, we long for the day when we will sit at the wedding feast of the Lamb and you drink the cup with us. Oh Lord, what a joyful day that will be when we are raised with our eternal, incorruptible bodies, free from sin, full of your glory, and beholding you face to face. Lord, as we walk through this fallen world this week, we pray that you would empower us by the Spirit to live with gratitude for the blessings we experience even now, and that you would sustain us by your Spirit with the hope that we are truly glory-bound. Lord, we ask that you would do all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus, the eternal Lord of glory. And God's people say, amen. Amen. So I am going to risk something here. I'm going to lead us in singing. Danny, could you put up, or actually, Danny, can you put up the the chorus to uh, On Jordan's Stormy Banks, I Stand. The I am bound, I am bound. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and sing this, and, and I will lead it. And, and we may edit this part out. No. <laughs> so, okay. But I want us to think about this, brothers and sisters. This is who you are. You are glory bound. One day you're going to stand on Jordan, that river of death, and the Lord is going to strike it, the waters are going to part, and you are going to walk through. And you're going to be raised, and you are going to radiate glory forever. That is your story. Let's sing that together. I am bound, I am bound, I am bound for the promised land. I am bound. I am bound, I am bound for the promised land. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, your hope is secure. You are blessed.
Go forth and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.